I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabulous morning. I know I am. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Paige. I am Paige, your caffeine-imbued host. And there's my coffee. All right. We're closing in on the end of the story of Jacob slash Israel. And today we go to chapter 46, and we're going to be talking about the temporary move of Jacob's family from where they lived in the promised land to Egypt. Uh, temporary meaning 400 years, give or take a few. So let's get started. Chapter 46. Hello there, Sir John. How are you, Chief? All right, chapter 46. So Israel, Jacob, set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Now, this had to be a, um, oh, well, for lack of better terms, better, bittersweet, because uh, Abraham, his grandfather, had offered there. Isaac had offered sacrifices there, and now he's offering sacrifices to Beersheba. And God spoke to Israel in a vision that night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I can't help but wonder, why would Jacob be afraid? Why would Jacob have fear? Well, again, me thinking with my mouth open, I'm thinking to myself that... Uh, get this over here. There we are. I'm thinking to myself that he's had a taste of the promised land. Uh, he was living in the place that God had promised Abraham, his grandfather. And now he's being required to leave what has been promised to go to a place that won't really like his people very much in the future. And we know that. If you know the story of Moses and Israel and everything in Egypt, Egypt, uh, even though initially they're going to be friendly to Jacob and his family, the truth of the matter is Egypt is going to be a hostile place. And I don't know if Jacob knew that in advance or not, but he had had a taste of the promised land. Now God's asking him to leave this land that was promised to him and to go to a place that was not going to be his. 
So I, I don't know if uh, uh, fear and trepidation were part of his emotional makeup at that moment, but he was leaving something that God had promised to go to a place that was not going to be his forever home, if you will. In order for Israel to become the set-apart nation that God called them to be, they were going to have to go through the struggles and tribulations that would forge them into the nation that produced the promised Messiah. Also, regardless of the repentance, this is another important little thing that I thought about. Regardless of the repentance shown by the other sons of Jacob, Israel, Joseph's brothers, half-brothers, God apparently did not appear to them. Sometimes, even when true repentance takes place, there's still a price to be paid for our sin. For instance, think about Moses in the Promised Land. When Moses, and we'll find this out when we get into Exodus, when Moses led Israel out of Egypt to head towards the Promised Land, he disobeyed God. And though he was still honored by God, and though there was repentance on his part, there was still a price to be paid. God told Moses he wasn't going to be able to enter into the promised land. He was going to take them to the edge of the promised land. And his uh, the his people would go in under the leadership of someone else. Uh, think about Adam and Eve in the garden. All right, they sinned, the first sin. And they repented, and God still was in relationship with them, but there was still a price to be paid. They had to leave the garden. Uh, I have a little thing here, a note, me and my retirement. Um, I've mentioned before my sin dealing with money in my past, how it led me down the path toward bankruptcy and the foolishness, my foolishness with money and income uh, nearly ruined my family. Now, I repented. God fixed things. God uh, delivered me from that. Um, yet, there's still a price to be paid. I lost what would have been a small but fairly substantial retirement because I invested all that money into a thing that was going to be a surefire deal. I lost it all, and I did not regain it. I do not have those dollars in my checking account or savings account now because I was foolish. My price to be paid was I lost what retirement or savings I was going to have that, that would have helped in my old age. Now, God has still delivered, he still, and he still takes care of me, but there's always a price to be paid for sin. The ultimate price for sin, the wages of sin, is death. We are all, and all of us are going to have to experience physical death, and that's a result of sin. So sometimes, even when true repentance is involved, there's still a price to be paid for our sin. And Jacob, the one known as the deceiver prior to his conversion, now known as Israel, one who struggles with God, I don't know if you can consider what he's about to experience is leaving the land that was promised to his grandfather. I don't know if you might say that's a price he has to pay for his former life of sin. I don't know, but it kind of fits God's pattern. There's always a price to be paid for sin. But here's God's promise. I will go down to Egypt 
with you. I'm taking you out of the promised land, the land promised to your fathers and grandfathers, and I'm, but I'm going to go down to Egypt with you. God will not leave him alone there. And I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. In using myself as an example, I repented of my sin of foolishness with money. And I have changed the way that I deal with money. And um, God has been with me through that whole process. When I went through the bankruptcy court and the, the shame and humiliation that was involved in all of that, God went there with me. God's general plan of salvation is almost never to take you out of something, but to walk with you through something. David would say later in the Psalms, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. God walks with us. He walked with me through my bankruptcy. He didn't miraculously give me a bunch of money to pay all my bills that I had incurred foolishly. But he walked with me through it. He's going to walk with his people Israel through what's getting ready to come. And he's promising Jacob slash Israel, I'm going to walk with you into Egypt. Yes, you're leaving the land I promised your father and grandfather. And I'm sending you to a temporary place, but I'm going to walk with you. And there's trials and tribulations going on here. There's a famine. They are short on food. They don't, uh, they are going to have trouble feeding their family. And that's why they're going to Egypt. But God has prepared a way for them. He, he sent Joseph ahead to prepare the way. Joseph became the second command of the most powerful nation on the known world at that time. And he was going to go with Jacob slash Israel into Egypt. So though there is a price to be paid for sin, even for the believer, God promises he's going to be with us. He told Jacob, I'm sending you to Egypt, but I'm going there with you. Now, Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives and the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with, brought with him to Egypt his sons, grandsons, and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants, who went to Egypt. Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, and the sons of Reuben were Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. Mm. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, Zerah. But Ur and Onan had died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez, Hezron, and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Pua, Jashub, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jehalil. These were the sons of these were the sons that Leah bore to Jacob and Paddan Aram, besides his daughter Dinah. These sons and daughters of his were of his were thirty-three in all. The sons of Gad were Zephon, Haggai, Shunai, Esbon, Eri, Erodai, and Erali. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, and Beriah. Their sister was Sarah, 
the sons of Bariah, Heber and Malkiel. These were the children born to Jacob by Zilpah, whom Laban had given to his daughter Leah, 16 in all, the sons of Jacob's wife Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. In Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. The sons of Benjamin, Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Jerah, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mopim, Hopim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 in all. The son of Dan, Husham. The sons of Naphtali, Jahazel, Guni, Jazer, and Shalem. These were the sons born to Jacob by Bilhah, whom Laban had given to his daughter Rachel, seven in all. Now all those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his sons' wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who'd been born to Joseph in Egypt, the numbers of Jacob's family which went to Egypt were 70 in all. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to give directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Think about this. Over 20 years, his father thought he was dead. And Jacob gets to hug his son, Joseph. Now Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I've seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh, and I will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, What is your occupation? You should answer, Your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. And then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. He's letting them know that uh, the general populace of Egypt would not be as easily accepting of them as Pharaoh and Joseph. Unfortunately, that would only become worse. So, one of the things I read in here about where it says they became detestable, it's um, it was apparently the Egyptians' attitude towards foreigners in general, not just Hebrew especially, but foreigners in general. And most of us know what's going to happen next. Um, we're going to flash forward here in a little bit, several hundred years to the time of Moses. And we're going to find that between the time that Joseph brought his family to settle in Egypt, in Goshen, to the... Uh, for several generations, they're going to grow and become influential and powerful. They're going to own property. Pharaoh let them have property. He provided for them. The Pharaoh that Joseph was with was very favorably disposed towards Joseph's family because he was favorably disposed towards Joseph. And that allowed the uh, Hebrews, which is what they were starting to be called, it allowed them to gain a foothold in Egypt. Now, when it says God's going to make them a, uh, a separate people, some 
and I used to be in this crowd, thought that he wanted to keep their bloodline pure, pure Hebrew. But the truth of the matter is, the blood of several cultures is represented within the nation Israel. Um, Joseph married an Egyptian wife, and his sons would become part of the patriarchy, and his blood would, uh, and with the his Egyptian wife, would flow in the Hebrews' bloodline. Um, there were children of Canaanites that were mixed in with the Hebrew blood. There's when God called them to be separate. It wasn't ethnic. This is this is me thinking with my mouth open. He wasn't calling them to be ethnically separate. In other words, only Jewish people only marry Jewish people. Uh, Hebrew people only marry Hebrew people because the blood of Egyptians runs in their veins and the blood of Canaanites runs in their veins. And we're going to see later on down the road as we continue our path through the Old Testament, the scarlet thread takes us through um, Gentiles who were married into the uh, Hebrew bloodlines. So the, the bloodline of Jesus isn't pure Hebrew blood, if you will. It really contains the blood of Gentiles and other nations. Uh, he's Messiah to all. And it's represented in the fact that his bloodline contains the blood of Egyptians, contains the blood of Canaanites. It contains Gentile blood. So God is calling them to be a separate people, and he's going to teach them to be a separate people, but their calling card as a separate people is their relationship with Jehovah. It isn't an ethnic purity. It isn't uh, a skin color. It isn't um, how much melanin they may or may not have in their skin. They're called to be a separate people in regards to their worship of one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. That's what they were called. That's going to be the thing that separates them, their worship of Jehovah, their worship of Yahweh. That's what calls us to be separate today. We're not, it, we are called to be a separate from this world through our worship and our behavior in regards to, as a result of our relationship with the God who has called us. God is getting ready to do a purifying and a settling of several issues within this family of 70 people that, that initially went to Egypt. He's calling them to be separate. He's calling them to be distinctly different than the uh, polygamy, uh, the polygamy, excuse me, than the multi-God worship system that Egypt had in place. Um, he's calling them to be distinct and different in regards to the fact that their God, one God, Yahweh, is what makes them different. But we're also going to see as we go, as we continue on with the story, God took them out of what was promised, the promised land, took them to Egypt where they were going to be, um, and we know this, they're going to be subjugated, they're going to be enslaved, 
they are going to be uh, subjected to uh, ridicule, persecution, death sometimes. But that, those trials are what God is going to use to draw them together into a distinct nation. And when they leave Egypt under the leadership of Moses, they leave as a distinctly different people. When they went there, they were just a small tribe, 70 people. Um, not a whole lot different than the people they used to live around, the Canaanites. But when they leave Egypt, they would be distinctly different. So again, this, this whole story of Joseph is a story of God's sovereignty. How God is the God of all our circumstances. It's my favorite name for him. I say, I say all the time, he is the God of all my circumstances. Um, El Roi, the God who sees me, everything about me. And when God takes me into something, it's not always pleasant. He led me through the valley of bankruptcy, but he was with me. He's leading Israel into Egypt, but he's going to be with them in Egypt. When God takes you through a trial, when he allows tribulation into your life, it's never without reason. He will be with you. And when you come through that valley, when you come through that trial, when you come through that tribulation, you're going to be different coming out of it than you were going into it. Israel, the small little tribe, Jacob's family, comes into Egypt as 70 strong. They're going to grow into several million people. And they're going to leave Egypt a completely different people. They're going to leave Egypt as a nation of people distinctly different from the world around them because they worship the one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. That's the most encouraging thing I think I've thought about in this whole entire story of Joseph. Isn't it amazing? Our God sees us and walks with us. Mm. Folks, that's all I got today. I think that's enough. I will see you tomorrow, and I think we're getting ready to close out this chapter on, uh, on Jacob's life. And until then, here's my coffee. I'm Paige. Folks, I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.